Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the golden age of baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, your home in the sports card world for vintage baseball and talking about vintage stuff. I'm your host Mike Moynihan this week every week and yeah I took a week off. I hope people aren't terribly disappointed. I spent Thanksgiving week. Uh, my brother came in town for the first time in like two years because of COVID. And so getting to see him and his his wife and my nieces and nephews, I just I just had uh, just wanted to take some time to do that. So here we are back though. And today I've got an interesting episode because I've been friends with this guy for a couple of years now. And I'm just gonna bring him on and we'll start talking to him and uh, talk through our topic of the day, which is buying vintage collections and what you should look for and what you should think about and all those things ty wilson bench clear media my compatriarch whatever word i want to use what's up ty <laughs> you must be desperate if you're asking me to come on a vintage show if you already run out of guests what's going on no i just i i think you're doing some cool stuff and i thought it'd be a great idea for an episode welcome to golden yeah. age the number one rated yeah. podcast in the bench clear media uh, family by, by so. Julie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> by viewers like you. No. Um, Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Glad you're here. It's yep. an interesting time we're living in, you know, the sports card market's gone nuts the last few years as we're both well aware you've been, you were predominantly just some background, a modern guy. I'd like you to talk first about how you've gone from being a, a significantly modernly focused guy in sports cards to gravitating a little bit more. And what, what value do you see in vintage and what are you finding out there? Yeah, I would say obviously collected modern a lot broke hundreds and hundreds of cases, maybe not the Britain Becca level, but a lot, a lot of cases and graded lots of cards. I think initially probably two years ago, Right, right along the time you and I started hanging, I think I just got frustrated with the new people coming in and that type of audience gravitating towards modern cards. And it, I don't think it was really until maybe a year ago where I started to pay closer attention to like the print runs of these cards. And when everyone was grading it, it's like, holy crap, there's 35,000 base PSA 10s of these cards that I started to get just totally turned off by it. And I just, man, the last three months, last four months, I've tried to take every dollar I can get out of my modern to put into vintage cards. It's a great way to enjoy the hobby, but it's a lot safer way to enjoy the hobby. <laughs> yeah. So would you say your decision was 
monetarily driven or was it that you truly like the vintage cards? Like what, what's the, or is it a combination of all of those? Tell me. It's a combination. And I, and I say vintage pretty loosely. Like I consider buying 25, 30 year old cards vintage for a lot of guys. Like for me, that's, that's vintage. It's not true vintage. I get it. But to go buy a Albert Pujols rookie from 2001 or, you know, Derek Jeter rookies from 93 and Jordan's from 86. I mean, you're, you're talking like you have to go, you can't go buy wax packs and open those anymore. You have to go buy them graded. That's, that's what I kind of, that's how I define vintage for some, you know, new guys entering the hobby. So yeah, it's probably broader than your typical audience, but I think it's just, yeah, I was just tired of buying stuff and seeing it. It didn't matter. It didn't matter how good a player did. Like they were issuing new shares of stock every day. <laughs> you, you, you kept diluting the value of that card because there was just so much being issued. And so it was just, this is frustrating to see that. And so many being graded and all of that true as well. Um, yeah. But you've also, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about your strategy, what you've been doing, not to give away the keys to the castle here, but just what you've been finding, the type of person you've been talking to, because you've been uncovering these amazing, truly vintage collections, like not just yeah. pseudo vintage, but truly vintage stuff. How's that kind of working out for you? How's that been working? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been, I think I've said this before, but you, you put out your name a, a couple of times and you, you, you work with a couple older guys and you do a deal and your name gets passed around. And all of a sudden people know you as an honest dealer an honest guy that's going to bring cash and, and treat people right. Like you get connected to people pretty quickly if, if you're that type of guy. And I started, when I moved up north here, I started just putting out feelers to see who was willing to sell collections. And it was kind of anything and everything. If you're willing to sell your collection, call me. I'll come over. I'll evaluate, evaluate it with you. And we'll, we'll put a number on it. And then I'll, I'll pay you a fair price in cash. And cash is king, especially up here, right? Where you got guys that they, they care about silver. They care about guns. They care about tractors. So to take cardboard and to flip it into cash in, in, in a very easy way, it, it was, it was a, it was a natural fit because building trust is a big part of who you and I are, right? Like being honest with people. And so it just kind of took off and, and more and more people kind of got connected with me and called me, Hey, I know this guy, you want to call this guy. He might be interested in selling his collection before long. I mean, I've probably talked to 70 people in the last three months and I've seen 30, 40 collections on site. And being able to put evaluations together for people. And I mean, you, I just, <laughs> I can't express this enough. I can't believe the type of stuff that's sitting in people's attics in barns and in attics inside of barns where you're like, how is this here? Like, <laughs> just, if it's here, that means it's over there too, probably. Right. And just, you go drive 30 miles up a mountain road and you see these cards and you're like, gosh, darn the hobby is so rich. It's so deep. It's just, it's awesome to buy these cards and pay fair prices for them. But it's also awesome just to hear people talk about the, the, the stories behind them. It's just been so enlightening to me. It's, it's actually made me fall in love with the hobby a hundred times more than I ever was before. That's awesome. And, you know, I had a similar, I don't, I'm not out there looking for it like you are and you're kind of getting your name out there, like you said, and trying to create this network of people so that you're kind of the guy to go to if somebody wants to unload a collection. 
but you know, I've had times where I've had people, Hey, I, I got a collection and it ends up being a bunch of junk wax stuff that I have really no interest in, or it's a collection. Like I deal, I had a couple of episodes about a barn, quote unquote, barn find, right. Mm -hmm. Wasn't found in a barn. People always credit. This wasn't in a barn. Like, yeah, I know. I get it. Ty has found some collections in a barn. I have not. It's just a typical term for finding something that's previously unknown and undiscovered. Uh, that's a generic term for it, a barn find. And and I found this, you know, I had a friend approach me with his uncle's collection and, you know, Hey, what, what do I do with this? And looking at the cards and wow. And there was a mantle rookie and a maze rookie and you know, some really great cards. And ultimately I, you know, helped that collection get sold to another dealer, a very reputable dealer. It's Mike up in, uh, MM seven sports cars in Oklahoma city. And, you know, he paid a, a very fair price for it. Looking back on it, I should have just bought that, you know, I should have bought that collection. Um, I mean, it was, it was $21,000, but he got the mantle and the maze graded to where that'll easily, easily, in fact, way more than pay for all of the rest of the hundreds and hundreds of cards that were there, uh, all of which were raw, but you're taking a risk with that. And that's what I think people, and I want you to talk about this because when you go to evaluate a collection, I have so many questions for you, Ty, that I want people to hear if they have these opportunities, what types of things they should be thinking about. The first of which is where do you even start to value a collection? Cause most likely they're all going to be raw. And if it's fifties and sixties cards, maybe some seventies cards, how do you go about evaluating that? Where do you start? Yeah. Well, it size, size matters in this case. <laughs> uh, you need, if it's a million cards, right. You're not going to evaluate a million cards, right. You have to approximate certain things, but the, the way I I've done videos on this. So if anyone hasn't watched the million and a half card collection, I've been trying to put little tidbits of like, here's a lesson I've learned. Maybe this will help you at the beginning of the videos. But one of the biggest lessons I've learned is you got to ask people what they want for it. Like you need to know where their head is first and foremost. Like when I walk into a guy and he's got 50,000 cards, this is awesome. What do you want for this? Like, give me an idea of what you're expecting because then you can work off of something. But ultimately I I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are my, what are my top 20 top 30 cards and what are those values? Because the rest of the stuff is time. And time is money, as you know, right? You can't be spending 150 hours the next month trying to go sell commons from vintage collections. It just, it, you'll, you'll lose in the end. You have to know where your top is, with your top 20 cards. So I try to quickly go through and figure out, okay, what does he have sleeved? What does he have top loaded? Where are the big cards? And come up with a number pretty quickly in my head of where the value is going to be. And then if it's really substantial, like I had a recent guy that, that came to me and he, I mean, he had, you know, 5,000 cards and 4,000 of them were legitimately good cards. Cards that required me to go back a second day, video record the entire collection, and then put together an entire report for him with his top 200 cards. Um, and, and that made sense for me to do because I knew like it was, it was worth my time to go buy these cards. Um, so, to, so to answer your question, it, I try to figure out where the top, 10 top 20 top 30 cards are and then kind of base my price off of that and let the rest kind of be profit if you will Does that makes sense you know yeah totally and i keep going back to this one experience i had because it's 
kind of recent and I, I sometimes kick myself for not buying that collection myself. Um, it's a, a lot of money and let's not kid anybody out here. If you're going to be doing this, you're not dropping $200. Like these are, if you're going to buy true vintage collections, you're going to end up yeah, paying, you know, well into the thousands, potentially tens of thousands of dollars for these collections. And, you know, it's, I looked at it as my time, like how much time would I have to spend and how much risk am I taking? Because I don't know what these are. going. I think I know what they're going to grade. But as we said before, the famous line of Nolan Elite Co. 3 spinning the wheel of, of PSA, right? And hoping, see what grade pops up. You never know what a card is going to, you don't know what a card is going to grade. You can think, you know, I happen to be incredibly accurate in assessing the mantle in the maze, but uh, in fact, I was exactly right on what I thought they would grade. Yeah. But I don't know. I wouldn't call it completely luck. But the point is, I didn't know that. That's what I thought they should grade. And they'd happen to grade that way. That could have been a different grader one day that it was terribly different. And so there's a lot of risk with that, a lot of expense with that on top of the cost of the collection itself mm. and time, right? How long is it going to take to get these graded? How long will it? Will they be at PSA, et cetera, et cetera? And you can't do that in this environment with every Tom, Dick, and Harry card that you have. Yeah. Um, and so do you go, okay, looking at a collection, these are worth grading. I think I think I can do well on these. If I grade them, do you think, man, I just got to get, I want to get, I'm going to recoup my investment. Because that's another thing I thought about. Sorry to talk so much, but I'm, I'm on a roll here. Uh, I thought, I want to keep a lot of this. Like I wanted to keep 90% of it. Well, that's a lot of money to shell out to keep 90% of it. Now, knowing what I know now, I could have kept 90%. I could have kept all of it, sold two cards and made my money back Yeah, and had all these other great cards essentially for free. But I didn't know that I wasn't willing to take the risk to do that because I didn't know what it was going to, the outcome was going to be. Yeah. How do you assess that risk? How do you do you think yeah. I got to get my money back as soon as possible? How does that work? Well, I think my encouragement to anyone, first off, if you're going into this, you need to have a defined strategy. It's not like you need to know what you, you have an idea of what you're going to keep and maybe what not, not you're going to keep and, and kind of what you're going to hold long term like that. That can't that doesn't work. That what that is. a rest. It's a recipe for disaster, period. Right. It is is. You need to know that if you get Mickey Mantles and you want to keep them, then you're going to keep them, period. And these guys over here, you're going to sell. Like, know what you're going to keep. It just makes life a lot easier. That's one thing I've been trying to, to do really strictly, especially because right. my wife's like, you can't keep buying and not selling. It's you can't, you can't get attached to this stuff, right? At the end of the day, like, I get to see all of these incredible cards kind of come through my hands and build a collection on the side. But I, I can't get attached to this stuff because it's, I'm, a lot of money's flowing in and out. That's the, that's the kind of mentality I'm trying to have. And then figure out what I'm going to collect. But when I'm when I'm looking at grading, like for me, it's pretty simple. The big names I'm always going to grade. Like, and you and I, you've helped coach me through this a lot the last six months. There's certain guys you're going to grade. Mantle, you're going to likely send to PSA. You're even going to pay 150 bucks in most cases right now to, to grade Mantle. SGC is a pretty darn good option for just about every other vintage card out there. It just is. If, if, unless it's going to get a seven or above. SGC is an incredibly fair comp to PSA in the vintage world. 
Uh, yeah, I think people, it's very different than modern cards for sure. Don't you it think? Is. It's yeah. extremely different. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the other thing is like when, when there is modern cards involved, you, the, the days of sending every, you know, Dick and Jane, Mary card in is they're gone. Like that doesn't exist anymore. So you're not, you can't have the mentality. Like I'm just going to grade all this stuff and make money. It doesn't work that way anymore. Right. You have to actually find good stuff to grade or you're going to lose money really yeah, quickly. For sure. Um, and again, we're, we're different. You and I are so different in a, in a good way, in good ways, but we're also very similar. We're both collectors. I'm probably, I'm not a seller, you know, the idea of buying cards just to resell them. I get this all the time. Well, Mike, why don't you just go buy vintage cards and use that money to buy other vintage, you know, sell it. And, and again, it's that whole time thing. Like, man, I got plenty of other stuff in my life that I want to do. And, sitting around doing that i'd rather just go out and earn more i'd rather work more earn more money and then buy the buy the cards i actually want instead of you know what i mean it's it's just questioning yeah. of what you want to do with your time but what have you decided you know you just mentioned keeping stuff and wanting to build a collection and it's funny that you're people don't know how much we talk off on offline which we do a lot <laughs> And they're great conversations because I'm seeing you get excited about vintage in a way yeah. that makes my heart just sing because you're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. You know, this card and da 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 da. Mm -hmm. And what are you keeping? What have you decided that you're going to start keeping and building a collection of? Yeah. Well, I'm, I've got the entire mantle run now, except for the 52 and the 53. Um, so you did have oh, I, did, I just got the 53, but I'm, I'm going to resub that. So I can't show it. Uh, I wanted to show it tonight, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep the mantle run. I obviously keep all Royal stuff. So George Brett, we're still working on the entire, you know, tops run of George Brett. Uh, key, key rookies, the Nolan Ryan's, the Pete roses, all that stuff that I'm just, I'm able to acquire now. It's like, it's in my collection doubles. I will sell, but a lot of that stuff is just, it appreciates nearly every year anyway. So there's no reason to rush and sell it. Um, That's interesting because with these collections also, you are picking up multiple, like how many Ryan rookies have you had pass through your hands in the last four in the last six weeks? And you didn't have any before, right? Right. Right. And are you going to keep one of those for your collection? Uh, I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're recognizing key cards. Obviously we're having a lot of conversation like, Hey, does this card, worth keeping or grading or yes, no, maybe we have yeah. a lot of those conversations about certain things. And I, I love that you're going, that's, that is a great way to do it. If you can find multiple, I would sell doubles too. Like, honestly, if I had multiples of all these cards, that's a great thing about this other collection. If I, I should have bought it for a whole lot of reasons. One of which also is I already have a mantle and a maze rookie. So the two key cards in that collection, I could have resold yeah. um, or maybe like one of them came, the ma the maze came back a four and a, a four, four and a half. I have a two. So maybe I keep the four and sell the two to recoup some of my money. The mantle was a three and a half. So I sell that. I, I already have a five. You know what I mean? I could, yeah. you can, that makes sense to me. I, again, I still didn't do it, but whatever. Um, <laughs> You're really bitter about that. I, I love I, it. You brought it up four times. It's not bitter. It's regret. And it's, it's not a major regret. It's not like something I lose any sleep over, but it's yeah. like opportunity missed. Yeah. And what you're doing is taking advantage of those opportunities to build a collection, to be able to resell things. 
Um, do you typically go in, you, you mentioned asking them for like, tell me a price. Right. Yeah. And I, and what's yeah. funny is some people have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Others think it's worth, you know, $2 million, you know, some crazy number that's certainly not realistic either. How do you get to, you know, you said you evaluate it yourself and that, yeah. that jumping off point, have you had to have those difficult conversations of either, Hey, you're, you're way too high or, yeah. or do you go to people and say, Hey, you're really underselling yourself here. This is worth way more than you mm -hmm. think because you can't, Look, we have, you know, we're both followers of Jesus Christ. And so we have a, a, a thing that we think about more than just what people think about us. Right. We we have a standard that's higher than anything in our society today. And so not that we're trying to be self-righteous or saint or perfect. We're far from it. I think we would both agree with that. But I think about. I use the word karma in the world or whatever you want to use. I think about how that has to play out. And so fair matters. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I've had to do both. And I, I always tell people this, and I, I truly do mean this when, when I'm figuring out the price of your cards, like I want to come to a price that's going to cause me to lose zero sleep tonight. Like I want zero guilt because I want to have peaceful sleep. Like that, that's a big deal to me. Cause I, I to your point, like I, we're held accountable to a higher standard. And, and I, I want to, I want to walk away from that deal, good or bad, knowing that I treated that person right. But, but yeah, I've had to, I've had first off, take a step back. The question always comes up and I've had this people, people email me like, Hey, I can't get a price out of somebody. There's an art to that. Right. And maybe it's because you and I have been in this world and sales world long enough. There's a way to get that out of somebody. And a good way to do that is to approach it with, cause you're right. A lot of people don't know their prices, but you need to understand where their head is. So saying, hey, this is an awesome collection. Are you thinking like a thousand bucks? You're thinking like 50,000 bucks. Like where's your head at with this number? Even something as simple as that will get them to talk about what they're actually thinking. That's it. That's all you want to do. Because if they're asking, if they're thinking 50,000 bucks and you know it's worth 2,000, you're probably not going to come to a deal anyway. You want to get that out on the table now. Uh, yeah. so that quick word of advice. Uh, and you would probably agree with that. I'm guessing totally agree. <laughs> that's a good tip. <laughs> Just be real with people. Right. But yeah, it's, it's not fun telling somebody like, Hey, 90% of what you have here is junk wax. And it's, I, I know you love it. I know they're all great players that you want to talk about the Griffies, the Frank Thomases, but they're just not worth anything. Unfortunately, uh, it's not a fun conversation or to tell people that certain things they have aren't, aren't real. Like I'm about to tell two people that they have fake Jordan rookies. That isn't fun. No. <laughs> Especially when they bought it five years ago for a decent price. Yeah. And you don't, but you don't gain anything by blowing smoke up people's butts. I've no. always thought that in life, just in period that just be real. And it, it may or may not work out. You said, you, how many deals have you had to walk away from of the 70 plus collections you've looked at? Like you said, over the last six months, 50 plus I've walked away from out of the yeah. 70. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I've only completed probably 20 deals this last year. And, and like, I try to go all in for the big deals, but you, I mean, again, I can't say this enough. You have to protect your time. Like if you're going to swing at something, you want to make sure it's worth your time because once you go in on something and it's not worth your time and you have to like spend the next six months recouping your loss, you miss out on everything else for the next six months. 
So it's, it's important. It's important to protect that. What's your favorite card or collection that you've found in this period that you've been doing this? Uh, there's two that come to mind. One was the mantle collection. That was, that was a big one. Uh, and it was, it's a great guy, a guy I stay in contact with. In fact, he's called me up multiple times and I've gone back to his house cause he's found more stuff and I'm just consigning it for him basically just to help him out. Like, Hey, I, <laughs> he, he found a basically complete set of desert storm tops cards, the operation shield. And so I'm just like, let me consign these for you. And just, I'll take 20% and you take the 80%. I'll just help you out, get more cash. Uh, that, the, but the mantle collection was great. There are a lot of those are still at SGC getting graded. Um, I had one a couple weeks ago that I didn't even get the chance to look at really, but it was from a brother of his that died. And it was a really sad death. And it, I, it was just a sad story to hear. And, it, it, and even talking about it, you could just tell like it was, it was an emotional it was emotionally taxing to have the cards out of his attic out there in front of him, reminding him of the way his brother died. And the, the guy's mid seventies, right? So it's been around for a long time. Right. But it was pouring out in rain. Like, and there's, there's, it, it, and I'm, I didn't know what he had, but I knew it was good enough for me to make a fair offer. So I'm like, I'll give you X thousands of dollars for this. And he's like, really? And I was like, I'm taking a little bit of a chance here. But I, I think I think there's some good stuff based on what you told me. And my my truck ends up getting stuck. I had to get it towed out because of the rain right. on the side of a mountain. And and the whole time I'm thinking, oh Lord, what did I do here? Like, was that a sign? Like I was just not doing I wasn't handling this the right way. And so uh, we get home that night. My son was with me. We get home that night and we we unpack the cards and we start looking at them really for the first time. Um and I think I showed some of you are in a recent video, right? There was multiple Pujols rookies. There was some stuff that some of it was not in great condition, but there was some graded Jeter stuff. There was some graded Pujols stuff. There was some Topps Tiffany stuff. And I actually went back to the guy and I, and I said, I wrote him a note. And I, and I said, I, I want to give you more money for this because there was actually better stuff in here than I thought. And, and I told him this before I left that I, well, I would do this to him. And he said, no, I, I don't even want it. Like you already blessed me enough. Like it, I thank you for doing Like you treated me fair. Like you don't need to pay me more. Uh, and it was one of those, like you treat people right. And people appreciate it. Even if you want to go above and beyond, it's like they feel it. And it was just an incredible thing. And I'm still going through cards and pulling out like, you know, Mark McGuire refractors from 90, you know, 97 and all these like cars that are just awesome awesome stuff so anyway that was a long story sorry no it's a great story and it, but it's a great lesson for people to hear if you go out and find a collection just be fair just be honest i mean you, i get it that you need to make a, a buck too and tie your time's worth everybody's time has different value to it they put their own you value your time everybody values it differently but at the same time you've got to uh treat people right and it'll yeah. it'll it's there's <laughs> the day of reckoning is coming for all of us. We all got to be, you know, uh, like you said, got to be able to sleep well. That's important. And so I've had that happen in life and not necessarily in cardboard, but it, it works. Um, well, I'll just say this. It was a great lesson to teach your own son, right? Like 
I had my son ask me like, what, why would you, cause we're talking about it in the drive home. Like, why would you pay him more for it? He agreed to a price. And it's like, well, there's an opportunity to do a good thing. But there's an opportunity to go above and beyond and do a great thing for somebody. And it's just a, it's a great lesson to be able to go through with your, with your kids. If you, if you do, in fact, yeah. that, that. I'll tell a funny story. My kids were little, they were, you know, eight or 10, eight and 10, something like that. And one Christmas speaking, cause it's, you know, Thanksgiving, black Friday, all this stuff's going on right now. We're in Christmas season. And I went to Walmart and I bought a bunch of stuff about an Xbox or something. It was like five or 600 bucks worth of stuff that I had bought on black Friday and I'd gone to the checkout and one of the things, you know, some of them will have like a time they're good for, you know, it's good only after from seven or whatever. Well, it wasn't on sale yet. So I said, I'll just take that off then. Well, they ended up wiping the order completely. And I went home, I had a receipt and I went home because they had run it and took, take it screwed all up It never showed up on my credit card. Like days later, I'm looking and I'm like, where is this purchase? You know, it's not there. I went back, I took my kids, I went back to Walmart and I went up to the desk and I said, Hey, here's the receipt of the things I took home with me that you guys never really charged me for. You, you erased the transaction. Like it never happened. Yeah. They were, they couldn't believe it. They thought I was absolutely bonkers for coming back there and asking that, no, you need to charge my card. I took these, I bought these items. I need to pay for them. It was a great lesson to teach my kids. And hopefully everybody out there would do that. They said they've never seen anyone do that. They couldn't believe it. The, <laughs> the lady to go get a manager, like, I don't even know what to do. No one's ever done this before. Uh, but again, you just be fair. Yeah. Um, sorry, that had nothing to do with sports cards, but no, that's, that's a good story. That's a good story. It's, uh, it's true. And as you <laughs> go ahead, I was going to say, I will say this, you know, it, you're going to fail in a lot of these too. Like you're going to make mistakes in the collections you buy, you know, and it's not going to be, it's just going to, it's just going to require practice. Like if, for those that haven't bought collections before and you go write a $5,000 check, like you, you're going to make some mistakes and it's going to require more time than you thought. And you're going to just have to learn, learn through it. Um, there's yeah. been a few I bought and I'm like, gosh, darn it. I didn't had an handle it the right, right way. I lost time. Just bad decision. <laughs> Period. Yeah. I, yeah. I hope people don't walk away or having you say that is important because it's not always perfect. It doesn't always go, well, I'm always going to make money in this. That's just not always true. And yeah. uh, so as you've been doing this for this period of time, is it something you go, I want to keep doing this? Or are you going, I've had enough? Yeah. I mean, you get a certain amount of inventory where you can only handle so, so much. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's grown enough to where there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things that have come out of this and I would probably keep doing it. I don't know how much more there's, uh, there is up here. <laughs> I say that. I just don't know. I just don't know how much is up here, but there's a lot of great stories we want to tell. We want to tell them on bench clear. Uh, and so we're, we're working on ways to, to help people uh, offload collections to us and get a fair price for it and also be able to tell the story behind, behind those cards. So yeah, What's the furthest did. you've traveled for a collection? So we traveled uh, about 11 hours for the one and a half million cars. We traveled about 11 and a half hours round trip for that one. And that required a 16 foot U-Haul to get all the cards, <laughs> uh, which I'm still probably a third of the way through those boxes. I'm just, it's just so, 
even if you know what you're doing, I don't think people realize the grandy, like the, their grandiose time suck that going through 5,000 count boxes is, especially un- unsorted boxes. It's just so time consuming. People do know because they're watching this stuff. They know how time consuming it is. Does that lead you? And again, this is the my nightmare. I go, oh my gosh, you know, it'd be great, but it's it's a lot of time. Do you have any regrets? Um, no, no, no regrets at all. Yeah, I, I I've heard stories twice from people who I bought a collection from a guy who his kids unloaded the collection after the dad basically got so sick and was in the hospital. They unloaded the collection because their dad spent 20 years of his life building this collection and never spent time with them. And so with the first opportunity they had, they sold this collection because they despised the cards because it ruined their opportunity to get to know their dad. So that was a massive lesson for me in knowing that whenever I get these cards in, if I can't, if I can't enjoy them with my kids, again, there's business side of this too. You have to be able to get it done. But if I can't have my kids enjoy it with me, then it's not worth any of it. It's just not worth it. I'd rather not do it at all. Um, I was glad I ran into that guy because I I could have easily got sucked into that whole, like, let's get millions of cards. Let's work this nonstop. And before long, I'm not even spending time with my kids. So that's not going to happen to me. It's, it's hard to balance hobby. And I deal with that, you know, between eBay looking, you know, just looking through your collection, just, you know, buying stuff, spending money that some people spend money. They don't have really don't spend money. They can't afford. Um, there's always an opportunity cost with every, every choice we make. Right. Yeah. And so if you're doing one thing, you can't be doing something else. You can't spend the same hour everywhere. And I've had my kids tell me sometimes, Hey, we think you love your cards more than you love us kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and that is hard to hear. Uh, obviously that's not true. I would sell everything I own in a heartbeat if I needed to for my kids or for my family. Uh, but, and wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah. But you, you know, it's made me this, this time period that I'm going to go through here where I'm not buying cards, like last week was great just with my family during Thanksgiving and not thinking about the hobby, not really involved in the hobby at all was refreshing and nice. And to take breaks and, you know, it should be something you try, you know, you're going through all these collections that you've been picking up and sweat and doing different things. And you know, this, I'm just going to say it for everyone else out there, but take breaks and take time for yourself, take time for the things that really matter uh, in life. And, uh, cardboard, this is supposed to be fun you know, exactly. and do you worry doing this will sour your love of the hobby just overall? Cause you'll spend so much time doing it or it just becomes a business for you. Well, I think if I, if this was my second year in this, I would say, yeah, maybe, but I mean, look, you know, this, I've been doing this for 20 something years, you know, it's like, it's, it's in my blood. Like I, I truly do love the sports card hobby. It's one of those passions that I don't think will ever go away. Period. So no, I don't think it will. It's just a matter of controlling that. And I guess to round out your thought, I, I do think if there is dads watching, if there's moms watching, it, I think it's a fair question to ask yourself 
and even ask your kids, like, what do they think about your cards? If you were to ask them, hey, what do you think about me collecting or my cards? What would you say about that? Like their answers, like you'd be surprised at what they'd say. Cause I've asked my kids that too. And it's like, it's a really good heat check on like yeah. your mentality. Cause it's, uh, you don't want, you don't want to get too far down the path when you're 25 years old and you're like, gosh, dang it. I did not ask that when I should have 20 years ago. Yeah. So anyways, we're sorry, doing a lot that. of deep conversation. We're, we're adding <laughs> a lot of deep nuggets here during this episode. This you know, cards bring that out in you though. Right. I mean, and that's, I think that's the thing that's really stuck out to me in this, all these endeavors is like, there is some serious stories behind these cards. Like these cards went through some serious stuff in people's life, lives. They got people through things. They were a vice for people. They were, they inhibited them from like building relationships. These cards, man, like good and bad have crazy stories. And you want them to tell good stories in your life. <laughs> I guess right. that's my point. For sure. Um, when you think about picking up these collections and doing this, again, if there are people out there that either A, haven't thought about it, or B, are thinking about it, how does it work? What are some final kind of, as we kind of wrap up here, some other tips and tricks that you might give to people, especially on the vintage side? What should they be looking for? Um, yeah. So a, cu a couple things that I've learned the hard way. One, you get, when you put out an ad, uh, or you, I mean, you can scour Craigslist. I wouldn't recommend, I don't find a lot of good stuff on Craigslist, but when you put out an ad or you go search the classifieds, um, your time is valuable. You want to have people to send you pictures for one. Um, you want to have people tell you what are the good cards and collections. I, I would say, make sure you do that all the time. Like ask for pictures, ask for descriptions, call them on the phone, talk to them hear the story behind the car and go see them. Cause I've been in a couple of situations that if I were to ask qualifying questions, it would, would not have been awkward. And there was a couple that were kind of scary to be in that I should have never been in. Um, I would say the newspaper is a good thing. Like the newspapers are a really good thing. Like use that to your advantage. People still read the newspaper and you think about the demographic that reads the newspaper. That's all I'm going to say, right? Those are the people that you want to be buying ditch cards from. So take advantage of that. Um, and remember those people don't, they don't use email very often. They don't text. You have to pick up the phone and you have to call them and you have to talk to them and build a relationship with them or they will never sell to you. They would rather die than sell to you. In, in a lot of those cases, you have to build the bridge so that that's on you, right? That's on you to be the expert and to be the person to build the relationship. And I think you'd be surprised with how many, how rewarding it is to do that regardless of whether you come up with the deal or not. So so I'll throw out something there. We, we've danced around this and, and even maybe talked about points of it directly, but the idea of you need to count the total cost of what that's going to be. Not just the cost of the cards themselves, but the cost of grading, the cost of sorting and time and all these different things and listing and fees you're going to have to pay if you sell on eBay or wherever, you're going to lose some of that money back to PayPal or eBay or whatever. Just think about the total cost. If you buy a card for a hundred, but at the end of the day, you only get 80 bucks. That's not a good trade. It's not a good trade for your time. So kind of encompassing that entire process is I think really important. And we've had, you and I have had conversations about this a lot. Well, yeah, that's a good deal for the raw card, but 
oh, by the way, you're going to want to grade it and this and this and this. And, you know, it's just a good reminder to always think through the entire entirety of the process. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think to that point too, it's, you want to be careful. You don't want to over-educate somebody, right? Because it, it just does nobody good. Right. And what, what are you going to do with your card? Well, I'm going to go grade it. And then I'm going to sell it for this. I think it's going to grade a PSA six and it's going to sell for that. You're buying a raw car, card in that instance, right? Pay a fair price for the raw card. You don't, you don't have to overthink this in many cases. Uh, the reward for you to grade, that's your upside, right? Like, so don't over-educate somebody. But at the same time, it's so easy to overgrade cards in your mind. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've thought that is a PSA six. So therefore, it's worth this much. I'm going to value it this much. Don't do that because you're going to be frustrated so quick. You don't get the grade you want on vintage cards and the dollar swings so fast. As you know, Mike, like they swing thousands of dollars between PSA fours and sixes and sevens. And you're not as good as you think when it comes to evaluating cards. You're just not. No one's Nolan from Elite Co. Right. <laughs> or Mike, the baseball collector. Well, no, but it, that takes time to truly, if you're doing a quick cursory look at all these cards, like my first look at this other, that other collection that I was talking about, I, I valued them way higher than they, once I got them back a second time, when I was able to spend a lot more time looking at them and seeing the wrinkles that I missed before and the rounded corners and all the, the issues with the cards. I went, whoa, maybe these aren't as valuable as I initially thought. And that would be another tip is don't get overly enthusiastic yeah. initially like just because of what it is it's a ruth or a mantle or a a clemente rookie or what do you cool your jets you know just be realistic with yourself and uh you're, like you said you're never as good as especially at the first look the first right. glance it's always with rose colored glasses i think and we and we miss so much stuff that had we just taken, but you can't take this. That's the thing. You got to weigh this. Look, yeah. it's, I need to take time on this, but I can't because I'm trying to do a deal. Yeah. So it's, it's an art. Uh, it is an art. There's no, there's no spreadsheet that can solve the problem for you. There's just not. Right. Yeah. And like, we don't, we didn't even talk about this. Maybe it's another episode, but there's a lot of people out there that you think they're sweet and kind, but they know what they're doing and they know what they're selling. And you're going to get scammed a few times. I can promise. Are you going to get in a situation where you could get scammed by people that uh, are passing on counterfeit stuff or stuff that they've already tried to grade? Like you're going to get that. It's just a, it's a dirty hobby too. There's a, there's a dark side of the hobby. It's not all roses. Yeah. Let's stay positive though. Let's try to stay positive. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks, Ty, for being on uh, the show with me today. I appreciate it. We've this has been a long time coming. I mean, trying to get trying to pin you down on your schedule is very difficult. I've been trying for you know a year and a half to get you on the show. So yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. No, it's just helpful. because you finally came over from the dark side of modern over to the wonderful, wonderful world of vintage, and you're seeing what all the glory is all about, right? <laughs> There's a lot of great modern stuff too. <laughs> yeah but you just gotta love an old baseball card there's something yeah. about it do you do you like this guy here is, is this is this one of your guys Ooh, that is i think that yeah. needs to go in my package is that a yeah. gold no it's not it's the red okay so that's the that's the base of that card by the way 
Is it the okay. red? Yeah. The base was numbered to 50 mm-hmm. out of certified. On Ryan. on Ryan, it was. Okay. Do you, do no, you the base is it? silver. The base is silver. No, I don't have that either. 53 mm-hmm. tops, man. Gosh. Okay. Don't have that. Too yeah. bad you can't buy you've stuff been, right now. You've been getting great stuff. It's been fun to go through the journey with you as you've been doing that. Uh, yeah, you, 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 I owe you a lot because of this, uh, vintage love. Would Julie make an exception for you to buy something from me? Oh, she did already. She made the exception for the, for this is the Ichiro. Never mind. Yeah, buddy. Which I'm still waiting for, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Don't know where that is in the mail, but Hey, uh, whatever, whatever. All right. All right. Well, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for watching on YouTube. Thanks for listening on the podcast. If you're out there, you know, go leave a, a comment, a, a review on Apple Podcasts or something that really helps the show. And uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. And thanks for putting up with me not being here last week for Thanksgiving. We'll catch you guys soon. Keep collecting. Keep